What's up, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Joshua, and welcome to a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund on the Live Mana Network. Thank you so much for being here. And if you're curious where you can find the Live Mana Network, we are all over the place, including Google News. You can scan, wait, opposite, I did it again. That one, you can scan that barcode. Uh, you can find links to the Live Mana Worldwide Foundation that my wife and I uh, run together. We are a nonprofit media organization that want, aims to not just elevate voices for the voiceless, but also be a voice for the voiceless. And we want to thank you for all of your support and helping us continue our mission. Of course, the Live Mana Foundation oversees this network, the Live Mana Network, and just so grateful for you because regardless of how much we are kicked off of Facebook and YouTube, just YouTube, again, I'm on strike two with YouTube, um, <laughs> Twitter, you name it. Uh, we have the digital Noah's Ark. And I want to thank you for your support, allowing us to do this, because even though I don't like being censored and I don't like having our videos uh, removed, especially for telling the truth, uh, it happens. But because we have the ark, um, we are we are OK. And I thank you for that. Today is going to be a very special broadcast. I mean, very special. I've never had the opportunity to do anything like this. Um, and I am and I'm excited and I'm grateful for it. And the reason why is because I, well, first and foremost, um, we've had guests on where they were on the opposing view where we had a, uh, where her name's Kelly, where she was after, uh, you know, the people that were doing that, uh, the drag, the drag strip clubs, right? In Texas, uh, we had her on and it was interesting to hear her point of view. And we hear all of these different opinions and we've had people from the LGBT community on. And the reason why is because I think these are important conversations to have, uh, especially with my own life. If you've read my book, uh, the book my wife and I put together, uh, The Devil Inside Me, you know my history. You know my history with being a chemsex addict. You know my uh, history with sleeping with transgendered, uh, with men, with women, with sometimes I wasn't really sure. I, I've, I've done it all. And as a chemsex addict, I don't think you're real particular about where you're putting your penis or your private part. So um, that said, I have a heart for the LGBT community because I've been a part of it most of my life. And yeah, that's probably offensive to some Christians. I understand. I love the Lord with all my heart. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm free from sin or I'm free from anything you know, I mean, look, I've healed so much. I've healed and recovered from DID, um, you know, and I have some little instances here and there. I have some drug cravings from time to time, but my old life is gone. That said, my heart for where I came from, my heart for uh, the people that are still suffering has never changed. And that said, there are other people that are not suffering that are in the LGTB community. As much as I see some of the memes and I see some of the, uh, the the comments on Twitter and social media that go around. And the fact is that, you know, God loves everybody. God loves everybody in it. Even after two years after giving my life to the Lord, I struggled with realizing that God loved me and had a, even a place for me. Imagine that. The whole time in church, I'm hearing, oh, he can save you and blah, blah, and all the stuff. But for two years, I didn't even know that God loved me. And because of that, I had no chance of really changing because I didn't. How was I ever going to love myself if I can't accept the fact that the creator loves me? So 
with that said, this this the conversation with Joshua T. Berglund is probably a little bit different kind of ministry than you're probably used to if you're new here watching. Um, but the fact is that I want to have conversations with people from all walks of life because I want to understand. And just because you can't label just because someone's gay doesn't mean they're a kid toucher. Because somebody's trans doesn't mean that they're a demon. Because somebody is uh, dresses, they're, they're a performance artist. They're a drag artist. It doesn't mean that they want to go dance and shake their butt in front of little kids. Some people are against it. And I've said, and I could be wrong about this, but I believe with all my heart, there is a massive difference between the LGBT, LGBTQ community and the agenda behind it. There is a huge difference. And I hope to understand some of those differences today. Um, we have an amazing guest. Uh, some of you know her as Kitty Demure. Some of you know Hagatha. I hope I'm saying the name, last name right. Sisti? Hagatha Sisti? Um, but just an amazing human being because I've had the opportunity to talk off air uh, with our guest and just have such a cool rapport. I uh, just think he's a special human being. And what drew me to him was a video he did was speaking out as Kitty against, well, the over-sexualization of children, which seems to be a massive problem right now. I think you guys are going to love him. And here's the thing. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian watching this program, and I love the fact that we have a very diverse audience. But if you are a Christian and you are just looking at anyone who is a performer, they dress in drag, they're transgender, they're gay, they're bisexual, and you have nothing but, you're going to hell! That's all you got to say? And you point to the Bible verses and you point at them? Well, I hope and pray that you sit through this entire broadcast with an open heart and an open mind. And I hope that with that, you will have a new understanding of it's a personal relationship, not a community relationship with God. And we are to love. We are to, <laughs> we are to be the hands and feet. And we are not to hate and discriminate against anybody. And for those of you who don't like the guests that I choose, watch something else. You don't have to watch. I don't care. But I want to have conversations with people from all walks of life, all nationalities, all genders, all sexualities. I don't, what language, religion, none of that matters. I want to know because here's what I believe. I believe that we're all a lot more alike than we want to admit. And not in the way that when we're trying to fit in, but our, at our core, we're all the same. We want to be loved. We really genuinely do want to love. And we want to care for people. But when we get religion and, and, and the media and everybody else in coming in with their agenda, what they have done is created such a diversion that we don't even know who we are anymore. We've lost our identity. So I think it's ironic that we have a, a drag performer coming on today with a few different identities. But I think when you get to know who he is as a man, I think you're going to fall in love just like I have. So we'll be right back after the short message.
them rolling out the red carpet, the red carpet, the red carpet. You want them rolling out the red carpet, the red carpet, the red carpet. You want the finer things, the diamond rings, designer jeans, all minor things in the wider scheme. But at what cost to realize your dreams? Been bleeding in the wheel more, put the crown of thorns on, spill more. My mic bloody cause I kill more, but I'm still poor. Bottom is where I started, but I get to the top and park it. Plug up in a harlot, my battery need charging. And to reach my target is the illest in the market. It's some liquid from my arteries, but spill onto the carpet, yeah. Everybody want fame, nobody wanna work for it. Want them all to know your name, don't wanna see no hurt for it. You wanna rolling out the red carpet, the red carpet, the red. Welcome back. My name is Joshua. Welcome to a, a conversation with Joshua T. Borglund. Uh, You guys, again, are in for a treat. Absolutely love our guest personality. Um, and, and I just, again, I just pray that you have an open mind and open heart and are willing to be faced with some things that maybe you've run from. Um, sometimes, anyway, I, I could just go on and ramble. I'm not going to ramble. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited. He is, first of all, he's known all over the world uh, as a performance artist, uh, as a drag artist. Uh, his name, they call him Billy, <laughs> drag artist Billy, William Browning, Hogatha Sisti, and Kitty Demure. Welcome to a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund. How are you? I'm great, Joshua. Thanks for having me. I'm very, very honored to have you. Uh, I've really enjoyed. I normally don't talk to people uh, mm -hmm. ahead of a, ahead of an interview, but I really enjoyed uh, getting to know you a little bit more through, you know, sending some texts back and forth. So I, I just, again, just honored and full to have you here. And with that said, before we get into all the questions and the fun, what are you grateful for today and why? Um, I'm grateful for my health. Um and being alive, I recently had a heart attack and um, had a triple bypass surgery. And um, I had no idea how horrible my health was. And I'm 60 days out from having open heart surgery. And so I'm just thankful, thankful to be alive. Oh, man, I didn't. I had no idea. I, I think you mentioned it, but I didn't know it was like 60 days ago. Right. It was. Wow, you look. <laughs> You look incredible because after most people go through that, they look like eh, they're kind of like death is knocking on their door a little bit. You look vibrant. Thank you. I um, you know, I was just determined that I wasn't going to let it uh, keep me down, keep me depressed or in bed. And as soon as I could, I immediately got up, started being active again within you know the confines of of the rules the doctors gave me. But I was up walking a mile, two miles within a month. And um, just, I want to stay alive. And, and it's, it's actually helped me um, change my lifestyle as far as diet, exercise, being more conscious of what I eat. Because I was, I was a lot heavier at one time. And even though I lost the weight, it, um, the body doesn't forget the abuse you did to it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whether it's food, food, drugs, sun exposure, it doesn't forget. So, yeah, I'm you're. We, we discussed that a little bit and um, 
when I was telling you about having H- me having HIV and mm-hmm. you were saying that you dodged a bullet and where we were late, we were pretty involved in the, the chemsex world. Right. And, uh, and that is a very, very dangerous. I think about some of the decisions that I made. I'm shocked that I'm alive. Like, I think I got off lucky just having HIV. And um, right. it, it's sure. terrifying. Like, why do we make these choices with our bodies? Like, do we not know that? Does the pain of what we're going through outweigh the knowledge of going, yeah, that's probably going to rot my insides out, destroy my brain, make my teeth fall out and everything else? I, I think, you know, we, we all have our own journey and we all have to learn in our own time. And, um, you know, and the funny thing is, I can't say I was ignorant to all of the consequences. I, I won't claim I won't claim to be dumb. Um, you know, I, I watched people around me destroy their lives on the same substances, food um, and lifestyle or whatever, you know, that I was doing. And, you know, I just followed right along knowing the consequence, although I. I, I'm also grateful, you know, the, the, I dodged the HIV bullet and I yeah. should actually, I, I'm guilty, just as guilty as anybody else who lived a reckless lifestyle. I just got lucky in that way. Yeah. It's, and you mentioned diet too, that <clears throat> my diet got out of control. So I became, I was a Coke addict before I became a meth addict and I wouldn't eat of course, when I was doing blow and cause I didn't want to ruin the effect. And so I wouldn't right. eat for three days, but then when I would eat, It'd be sausage and egg biscuits, donuts and cheeseburgers and hash browns and everything else. So cocaine, I always joke and say cocaine made me fat because I got up to 300 pounds. But Mm. it was really because I just shut down my system doing cocaine so much. It was awful. But anyway, I don't want to sit here and talk about drugs the whole time. (laughs) I just want to say that I applaud you. I mean, I've already shared this with you privately. But I applaud you for the stand that you took when you spoke out as Kitty, um, which was not a performance, which is not you weren't acting. This was true to your heart because uh, uh, even Hagatha will speak some very, very hard truths to people. Um, but you spoke out against the oversexualization of kids and you were kicked off of Twitter for it. Is that correct? Correct. Um, you know, it's and the funny thing is I was kicked off by my own supposed community. You know, they, they do mass bullying. Well, I call it mass bullying reporting. And, you know, once they that you they get enough reports and, and, and things against you, they just get rid of you. They just rather get rid of the perceived problem and just appease the masses rather than the one person who's trying to speak the truth. How does that feel, though? Because you've you're a name in the community. I mean, there's people outside of the community that know who you are now, but and they, they probably knew of you before. But you're a name. It's not like you're just somebody that's going to some. I don't know how to how to describe it, but like you're kind of important to the community. So how does it feel to have them turn their back on you in this way? This is the thing. I don't think they realize the importance. Um, while they all travel down one road of you know uh, mindset and the way of thinking and lifestyle. I've diverged a little to, to a, on a different road. And I've always wanted to m- make um, drag and the performance of it more, more, I guess, palatable to say average people and to not make it so sexual and not make it so political and ugly, although my character is ugly. But the character... It is not. 
No, ki- no, Kitty isn't. Kitty isn't. Yeah. yeah, Kitty basically is me just beautified as a woman speaking my true thoughts. Where Hagatha is um, a character I created, which is just the opposite, but holds up a mirror to society and does it in a satirical way, also weaved with truths. And um, to just show how ugly the, the ugliness is in society right now. It seems like, though, that is where this is a pure example of there's a difference between the community and the agenda. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. The, you know, when it comes, the, the agenda is more important than the community. It's, it's, I call it a cult, you know, because if you do not fall in line, if you do not listen to what they want you to listen to, if you don't speak the things they want you to speak, you are pretty much exiled. And I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, I, I've existed without the community. I don't, I get along with everybody. I'm not, I'm not an outcast just because I am homosexual. And just because I do drag doesn't mean I'm an outcast from average society. Right. That's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just a simple, simple truth. So I want to ask you some very, probably lame questions, but you have Mm. to understand there's a lot of ignorant, and I don't mean the word ignorant, I mean the literal meaning of ignorant people that are watching this right now that don't know. They think that drag queen is a sexuality, or they think that, you know, cross-dressing is a sexuality, uh, or, you know, there's just a lot of different beliefs, and and there's a lot of confusion around what things are. They just okay. follow along with what the media is saying or what's popular on Twitter. So forgive me for asking some very, very simple, probably ridiculous questions. But is drag, is that a sexuality? If not, what is it? Okay, drag. Drag ultimately is a performance art. Um, it actually is, in my opinion, birthed from misogyny from the past. Um women were not allowed to perform on stage until the 1600s. So men played women characters on the stage. So this is not a new concept. Well, apparently after even women were allowed on stage, the art continued and here we are today. Um, It is dominated mostly, I would say by gay men. I mean, vast majority are gay men. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, I'm gonna say for some, they get a sexual feeling from it because it allows them to be this sexual being if that's the character they're creating and they're able to exhibit that in public. Um, now, drag in a gay nightclub very much relies on sex and filth and um, sure. you know perversion, things like that, but it's in an adult setting. For some reason they now want to cater or draw in children and the ones that are doing it are not mrs doubtfire you know that that's and they want to pretend well mrs doubtfire was a drag queen well not really mrs doubtfire was a dad trying to have a relationship with his children you know and it was wholesome and it was nice when you're sitting there doing the splits strip teasing and spreading your legs in front of children that is not appropriate drag. It, it just isn't. So, um, so I I don't I don't think I, it's not a sexual orientation. It's just a performance art. Right. But 
the sexual things ought do leech out of it. Is there a difference between drag and cross-dressing? You know, it's, I think, yes. A cross-dresser, in, in my world, in my community, what people, the discussions are, a cross-dresser is typically a heterosexual man who oh. kind of gets off on wearing women's panties and things like that. Um, but then there's also the transvestite, which you never hear about anymore, which would be a man who goes out and wears women's clothing and isn't necessarily sexually turned on by it. They just maybe like the attention, but they don't typically live as a woman. Wow. So <laughs> when you're a kid, like when did you know you were gay? Let's just start there. I knew from a very early age. Um, it, I wish I could remember, but I, I always, I do remember being attracted to, to males. And, um, but I also had girlfriends as well. You know, I, I knew the average society and our culture that, you know, you get with a woman and you get married and have children. So I wanted that, but I also knew I was attracted to men from a very early age. And it, I would say in elementary school, I knew. I can't really pinpoint the age. Did it, did it start after a trauma or was it you were just, you just knew? Well, oh, that's, that's a hard one. Well, you don't okay. have to answer anything I ask, by the way. No, 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 no. I did experience trauma as a child, um, sexual, um, but at the hands of a female and a male. And so I don't know. The first I would say was the, the, uh, a, 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 the female. She was a, a, a college age babysitter and I was nine years old. I remember my age. I was nine. Wow. And, um, then um, after that, probably a year later, it was with, from a 16-year-old kid who was my new babysitter's brother. Um, but I can say around the same age, I also uh, stumbled into my father's pornography stash. So me and my brother would watch pornography um, that we found. So I was sexualized from a very early age. And I knew that when it came to, say, the pornography, I did... At nine years old, I knew I was more attracted to the men in the video than the woman. That is so crazy how similar. I mean, the age is different, but mm -hmm. men and women, for me. Uh, but I remember even before, because I remember the setup before I was molested by the two guys the first time. Mm -hmm. I remember just a day or two before watching porn for the first time. And I remember... I will never get it out of my head. I can see the image as clear as day to this day, as much as I try to scrub it from my mind, especially for what it led up to. But I remember what I was drawn to. Mm -hmm. And without going into all the details, because they don't really matter, it was very confusing for me because here it was, I was attracted to both. And I didn't understand why. Didn't understand what it really was, except for that it was revving something up inside of me. And then being molested after... Uh, a couple of days later, like, even though I didn't understand what happened, I can't say that I hated the experience except for the fact that I was scared only because they said, if you say anything, bad things are going to happen to you. 
And that's when it got confusing for me. It was after it, that happened. That is a very similar experience I had with the 16-year-old. I was actually intrigued by it mm-hmm. because I was attracted to males. Sure. So it wasn't like a forceful thing. It was, but but there was still, I'm nine or 10 and he's 16. And, you know, but the female one was really traumatic for me because I, I really trusted women and really looked up to women. Um, and, you know, I, there's women have a strong presence in my family and um, they're usually for some reason the, the, the in charge of the households and raising the kids. And so I was very shocked and, and grossed out by her, but with him, I had already been exposed to porn and knew that I was attracted to males. And so once he got me in this position to, uh, for this to happen, I didn't fight or anything. I was intrigued by it. Did it, did you feel hurt afterwards? Meaning that were you scared or like, what was the emotions afterwards? Because it seemed like, okay, well, I didn't ask for this to happen, but I'm also not saying no so what was that like for you afterwards? Hmm, I never thought about that. Um, I felt maybe I felt dirty because of what happened, but sure. I wasn't hurt by it. It, it, I didn't feel hurt by it. I, it, it's hard to explain um, because I well physically wasn't hurt, but um, because I, 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 in a way, because I'd been exposed, I think, to pornography, mm-hmm. I was like interested. I was interested in it. See, this is these our stories mirror each other in a pretty interesting way. So as you get older, like when did you get into the the drugs, mixing drugs and sex together? Like when did that happen? 17 years old. Um it was meth. It was like 1987. Meth was huge at the time here in Southern California. Um, people mostly did it because they, oh, it keeps you up all night and you'll stay skinny forever. <laughs> and that's, that's what we, that's what we thought it, you know, well, it does, but it, you know, it, um, but you know, it has other things, but you know, it's, I was seeing, I had, I, in high school, I had boyfriends and girlfriends and, um, it's funny how you talk about the chem sex stuff because I never really considered that being a part of my life until now, because it, uh, it was often, they were together and um, was intermingled in my relationships. And um, it, it's, it's something I never considered. And, um, and yeah, I, it was all, it, it was all combined and it became a, just a way of life you know? Yeah. And, um, and it's funny how it travels. I, I was in relationship, a relationship, a long one with a female and, um, uh, we were on drugs together and it was a constant in our life. But the minute I tried to sober up and get off drugs, it completely changed the relationship to where it, we couldn't have one anymore. And, um, that's, it's, <sighs> that's, that's, that's tough. And, mm-hmm. I, one of the toughest things for me to get over, cause I didn't really ever have normal sex. It mm-hmm. was always, there was always something traumatic attached to it, or there was drugs involved. Like there was no in between. So the thought, I mean, now I'm able to have normal sex and have a family mm-hmm. and things like that, that I never could have had before because I was like, oh my God. like the thought of, I couldn't even think of sex with a partner 
without needing drugs, whether I was married to them or not. Um, so, I mean, that lifestyle absolutely just completely wrecked me because that became chasing after that became more important than anything else. Like I just completely lost my way, but all it really came down to, and I was thinking about this, um, you know, when I turned my life around is all, I, I think so much of it rooted back to not, all my problems, all the struggle. It wasn't being molested or abused that, I mean, obviously that had its issues, but for me, it was learning to lie that became the greatest poison of all to me, which sounds crazy when you're abusing meth and cocaine and having sex with, you know, God knows how many people in a four day span. Like that sounds, it's as, it's as terrible as it sounds, um, especially risky too, right. but really learning to lie, it, it crippled me because I didn't know my identity. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was created for. If I got any glimpse of what I was supposed to do, I was like, screw that noise. And then just went right back to the drugs for you, especially having different characters that you let come out and play and you dress up as an artist. Mm -hmm. Um, does it ever mess with you knowing your identity? Um, d while doing a character? Yeah, I mean, do like, or do you do you wait to go into the character until you feel like it, or is it just okay? This is the performance. This is what I'm doing. Is it anything like that? Okay, when it when it comes to Hagatha, yes, Kitty, no, because Kitty is me just in drag, but okay. Hagatha, who is the comedic one, the the satirical one, um, it's interesting because when I I when I created Hagatha. Uh, Hoggoth is basically a conglomeration of people that I've known and myself before I became, you know, a more mature person. Um, so I, I understand these emotions that these people have. And so I can tap into it. So at first it was like really fun. Oh, I'm going to create this character. But, as you know, here we are years into it. It's not so easy for me to do it. Because um, I have to access these emotions, I have to access, you know, a way of thinking that I've long abandoned, but I still understand. So it. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, so it does. It gets exhausting, and there's times I'll be because uh, I I can go eight hours of just improvising, doing a live, uh, doing a live on Facebook and YouTube, and um, you know, because I interact with the audience, ask me questions. They try to trigger me. Then, of course, I act really triggered and dramatic and traumatized because that's what they really want to see. And so it, it gets It just gets exhausting after a while. Do you feel that it's a, a healthy release for you, or do you are you starting to resent the character even exist? No, yeah, that's the funny thing. There, has, it's almost like it's therapeutic, and it gets out all this junk that I've I've had for so many years. And while I'll come up with just some ridiculous story about Hagatha, the audience is unaware that I have put some of my own truth and my own experiences and life in there. And I guess it's a way of just kind of purging is the best way I could um, describe it. God, I, you know what? I, I've thought about creating a different character that I could hide behind somehow, not mm -hmm. necessarily drag, but right. trying to figure out whether it's an animation or whatever. Um, I can't walk in heels. 
So, right. and, I, and I was hoping that you were going to dress up. I know you told me you weren't because you were going to grow a beard. <laughs> so as soon as I saw your shaved face, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, maybe he's going to dress up. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> but I, there's, there's so many things. Like I say a lot and I share myself vulnerably, vulnerably, and I'm honest and I'm bold about whatever's going on with me, my personal struggles, where I'm falling short. I'm willing to talk about all that, but there is an angst inside of me that wants to just lash out or to release and go after. I mean, really very similar to your Hagatha character because like, I just want to be that painful mirror for people to like, do you not see your hypocrisy here. Do you not see like you're, you're how deceived you are? Like I, I, I want to be that, but I know, and and this is why I, I, I've got to figure out a, a better way to release it. I know me being that way never get, re- gets a good result coming back ever. Like me is me doing this. If I say anything that appears lashing out, Oh, he's angry and he's going to go abuse people again, or he's going to go, like that's what it would be. Right. So it's like I'm, I'm almost envious of these people that can hide behind characters and just say whatever they want to say, like they do on Twitter. Like it right. seems like it would be easier <laughs> and more. You want, to, you want to do it from behind a mask so nobody could say, "Oh, this is Joshua doing this." No, I, I understand. Or, or it, it's because if you say anything, I mean, it's bad. Okay, so I had somebody that is a, a witch on my program, and I'm. I'm not a preacher, but I love Jesus and I talk about Mm -hmm. Jesus on my show all Mm -hmm. the time. And I do lessons from the Bible too. But at the same time, I'm just as quick to go tell someone to go F themselves and want to like rip their throat out as I am holier than thou. Like I have both moments. I have very extreme emotions sometimes. And it sometimes feels very dangerous leaving some of that angst inside because what release do I have? And again, saying things that are going to come back. You know how good it feels to just say stuff, even though you don't mean it. Like when you're mm-hmm. angry and you don't really mean it, but you just need to say it to get it out. I right. have a lot of that. <laughs> so <laughs> you may have to teach me to walk and heal so I can come up with a new character and just <laughs> unleash on people. Well, you know, it's funny because what, what what's typical in like the shows that I do I get a lot of people watching and they'll share it and, you know, I'll, I'll get a large audience. And my, my audience is usually uh, a lot of trolls in there who are like, who's this freak show? And they don't realize that I'm an act. So they're being trolled, but they think they're trolling me. <laughs> and it's really interesting. So what I'll do is they'll say something really insulting. And it's funny. At, at some, you know, I do like that because my audience has really been built by the people who used to hate me. And um, then they realize, oh, it's a satire. Well, what I would do is they would come in and be real insulting to me. And then I would, I usually, I would have a, I have a green screen you know, during my show and I would access their like social media and put their picture up behind me and then just completely roast them. And <laughs> it just, and the audience loves it. And then the people love it. They'll say, hey, Hogatha, roast me next, roast me next. But um it it is it is it's a great exercise in getting out yes your aggressions and and things and and people are there to be a punching bag on my show anyway. What I, now I'm going to start tuning in just so I can. I, <laughs> I, I don't even want to harass you though. But <laughs> so, um, so 
I want to go back to the video, the infamous video. Okay. You speaking out as Kitty. Okay. And I mean, that took some courage to do, I would imagine. But what mm -hmm. motivated you to speak out? What motivated me was, first of all, my own my own experiences growing up. Okay. I am um, like kind of back to when I was a kid um, around the age where I knew I was gay. I, I knew a, a homosexual who was very close to our family and he just really grossed me out. <laughs> he was just real flamboyant and just real sexual and just really, you know, just dirty. He was dirty and he wasn't like toward me, you know, just as his personality. And I thought as a kid, I don't want to be, I know I'm gay and I don't want to be like that when I grow up. And like, he was my only example of a, of a gay man. And I see today how these people in the community who are dressing up as women, being sexual, doing all of this dirty stuff, their nighttime drag act in libraries, it, you know, in functions that, that, that are including and made for children. Right. I think about those kids and I I'll see the pictures and I'll see the expressions of the, on their faces. And I'm like, you know, not everybody is enjoying this. And those kids just didn't ride their bikes and show up there. Their mothers, more than likely their mothers brought them there. And it just started really bothering me. And then it, then I started thinking, you know what, this is really making the community look bad. You know, they, they've put us all under this umbrella, LGBTQ XYZ community <laughs> umbrella. And, I, and I'm like, you know what, I'm just a G. I'm gay. I'm not the rest of the alphabet. And I'm not going to allow you to drag me underneath here. And I'm not going to support this. I'm just not. So I don't like the way you're making us all look. You know, gay, gay men for years have been called pedophiles and perverts and deviants and all of these things. And here we are in a modern time where, you know what, people can feel comfortable sitting next to you and, you know, not call you the F word or, you know, a queer. Well, now, now they call themselves queers. But it's, you know, we, we kind of got to a place where, you know what, I'm not going to walk down the hallway in high school and be harassed, you know, I, and which in my, in my day you were. And so now our own community, supposed community is going out there and just, you know, dancing and taking off their clothes and being sexual in front of kids. And I don't understand why they would take 10 steps back after we've taken five step forward. I don't get that. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me either. And it almost makes me think, I mean, obviously the agenda is well-funded. Someone's funding it. Clearly, and yeah. I, I, and, and I don't know if they're setting up casting calls and these people in these videos are all actors and it's meant to, you know, it's some kind of psychological operation to make us all mad and hate each other and cause division and all of the different communities now that we're pushed into and the boxes that society wants to put us in. Mm. But- Something about it, other than the fact that it's just blatantly evil, something's off. Because how in the hell would you anyone think that it's okay to let someone, a child, see your a, a stranger's butt, or in some cases, spreading their legs when there's no underwear and letting them see their penis? And I mean, mm. there's just so many of these extremes that are happening it's like, are parents really doing this or is someone paying them to do it? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Are you talking about the audience or the performer? Oh, well, really all the above. 
Like, I mean, you've seen, I've seen the casting calls for mm -hmm. protesters and things like that. Yeah. Never seen the casting calls for this, but it does seem like there's something like that involved. So it could be the performer, could be the audience. It could be, I don't know. I mean, do you think that there's something else going on besides the obvious of what we see? I, I do think there is, I think, some sort of agenda going on. I mean, because all media and everything is they're pushing it. And uh, even so-called doctors are pushing it, you know, on the whole trans movement with kids. And um, I know I, I knew somebody who did do a storybook reading in a library. And I, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, if he was approached by some nefarious group to do it. But, you know. I can say that the drag queens, they love being accepted and they love money, you know? So um, this one it's particular- It's expensive to dress. Huh? It's, ex it's expensive to perform. Those wigs aren't cheap. No, it, ca it can take a lot of money. And no, and the thing is, they're not even, they're, they could barely take care of their own needs. Like they, a lot of these drag queens, they live in, in studio apartments with three other people. They eat top ramen. Like their life is just clubbing. That's it. And it's like the, in the nineties, you had like the whole club kid thing. And it's, it's very similar to that. It's just, and you know, they just live to club and dress up. And um, so I knew this one person in particular who did a reading in, in my town and I saw him in a picture and I'm like, this is who they have reading to children. This guy, he's a prostitute a drug, a drug user. He, he, it, it, I, I was floored. I'm like, they, they don't even care. They just want a man in a wig and makeup. They don't even care about the quality of person that they are leaving, you know, that, to influence their children. That shocked me. That really shocked me. And I'm like, it, it's almost as if they're not picking the best. I, I, you know, why, why aren't you picking someone and dressing them up as Mary Poppins? Why are they doing their nightclub act? and looking like hookers and, and, you know, and I get it. Like I've seen them with their legs spread. I know they're wearing like five pairs of nylons. I know they're wearing foam on their butt to give them a female figure, but that child does not know as they're spreading their legs and robbing their, rubbing their crotch. They don't know that all of that stuff is fake. They're seeing a woman or an, a very ugly woman perform in a very suggestive sexual provocative way and i don't i don't see the value i don't see the value at all in any of it yeah. what with what you do as a performer mm -hmm. what what kind of bigger aspirations do you have as a performer is it world travel or is it touring because there's a lot of time and effort that goes into getting ready um, at least in my experience, one of my really good friends, I, I want to tell you this really quick story. Okay. So when I was living in Oklahoma, or uh, <clears throat> I was actually living in Florida at the time, um, but I was going to, I, I was living in Hawaii, going to move to Florida. And one of the guys that I'd met at College Cheerleading Nationals, met him, hung out, great time. One of the most amazing people I'd ever met in my life. Then I found out he was gay. And then I was very uncomfortable because I had my own experiences. I was very uncomfortable with my own sexuality still, still figuring things out. And then 
you know, and I, I, I had an issue with it. And then I, I remember asking myself, I, you love this guy. Like you loved him. You hung out, you were great friends. And now you're acting weird because of this, like what's wrong with you. And it just shifted my perspective. Well then, so as soon as I got comfortable with the fact that one of my best friends in the world was gay and, and I loved him and I was cool with that. Cause I didn't see a lot of that growing up in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so then after when I actually moved to Florida, we started going to club space and all the different clubs in Fort Lauderdale and going to drag shows and then come to find out he was a drag queen. And we used to go to all the shows. I mean, it had the best time. And like he, for him, it was truly performance art. Yes, he was gay, uh, but it was performance art for him. And he loved it. And he had huge aspirations of touring with RuPaul and doing a lot of different things like that. So like that was his goal. Now, now he's doing something completely different and having a time of his life and God bless him for it. But for you, like this is, it seems like you're committed. You've got both characters that are very, have fan clubs on their own. What are your goals? Like, what do you want to accomplish with each character? Or do you have something as William that you want to do too? That That's such a, a hard question for me to answer. Um, I, this has really sort of taken off and me not really knowing it would. So this has like become an animal that I'm trying to tame and know what to do with. Um, as far as like, say, performance, I've, I've given up like the dancing and the lip syncing in, in a club, you know, and I really, mostly because I'm 52 and they're, you know, you're sitting here competing with 18 to 30 year olds, you know, and I, it's just, and, and the, the audience tends to be very young. So I just, I've aged out of that. But during COVID times, I discovered the online community and people were at home and bored and I created the character and it just exploded in a, a, way, a way I didn't expect it because it was a joke at first, um, Hagatha. But that it, it's, you know, I people want to interview me. They want me to go places. And I'm like, I have to make this work into my life because I do have a, I job, I'm a manager of a nightclub and I can't just get up and leave whenever I want. So I don't, I really don't know. I mean, I'll take any opportunities as I can schedule, but I I don't know, honestly, where I'm going with this at all. <laughs> I could totally see you. <laughs> I, have no idea. I would love, I would read it. <laughs> I would read a book from all three characters <laughs> or not characters, <laughs> two characters and you. Right. About your life, for sure. Because, I mean, you have, working in the club business in L.A., you mm-hmm. see a lot of stuff. I mean, oh. I know what my own experiences were like. And, well, you're the manager, so you're going to see a lot more. <laughs> so, well, Yeah, I see a lot. And I pr- I still produce drag shows. And so I I still work with the highest level of drag queens and um, who've been on RuPaul and who have won the competition. And, I, you know, being in Southern California, you, you see them all the time. And... um uh, it's it's been very very interesting and yeah i could i could tell a million stories oh i'm sure so i want to ask you something i if mm-hmm. you'll do this and i don't know if this is going to make you uncomfortable or not but i keep hearing that I, I i just feel this in my spirit i'm supposed to ask you you're talking to a lot of christians i mean you're talking mm-hmm. to muslims you're talking to atheists you're talking to buddhists you're talking to hindu you're talking to 
gay, bisexual, and transgendered people. You're talking to people of all walks of life here, but specifically the Christian community. What would you, if you had the opportunity, if you were sitting at a pulpit in front of a church, what would you say to the audience? Hmm. Well, I, I one thing I would say is, don't, you know, people just being gay that I've experienced, they like to be very repetitive and say the same things over and over again, as far as you're going to hell, um, you're, you're, you're an abomination. And I just, I think people do that out of their own guilt and insecurity. And it, it's like, you, you know what, it, don't cover up your sin by splash, you know, by, by, you know, using mine, you know, if we're all sinners and Jesus died for everybody's sin, then why is your sin better than mine? And I don't understand. And, you know, I'm not, I, I grew up briefly in the church. I did. And I was born again and saved that when I was like a teenager. And that's one thing, you know, in all these years, these now 40 years that have passed by that has just been a continuous thing from this loving, forgiving community is they love to persecute others and refuse to work on their own sin and, and acknowledging that if they become better people, they can help the, word, the world become a better place. You just can't sit there and judge people and think that it's going to get better. Why don't you be a loving example and, and, and teach the world? That was good. That was so good. And you're right. I, you know, I, this is a good, might my, probably make my mom uncomfortable too, but I'm grateful that God, cause I, listen, I know what the Bible says about homosexuality. And of mm -hmm. course I've seen the rebuttals to it and like, well, that's not the real translation. That's not what it really means, which that happens mm -hmm. with every, I think, book of the Bible. Right. That's not the point. But I am grateful that I have not, and I've asked God, listen, I want, I want to be everything you created me to be. Like, if that means that I'm no longer bisexual or trisexual, whatever the heck I was, um, if that means that I, whatever that means, whatever that looks like, God, that's what I want. I want to be everything you created me to be. I've begged him when I had no control over my sexuality, where I could be in this relatively healthy relationship <laughs> relatively before I started cheating and doing all that stuff with guys. Um, but I, 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 I've begged God to take it from me. Mm -hmm. Like, cause I just, cause I was incapable of having a healthy relationship incapable of anything that was normal or normal. I beg God to take it from me because like no woman that I want to be with. I can't raise a family when I'm, you know, like here it is, I'm in this relationship and then I'm going off and I'm being with men too. And like that, it's just not going to work. Right. So take it from me. God doesn't take that. It does. Like I don't go sneak off and go cheat on my wife and, you know, do drugs and all the stuff I was doing before and disappearing for four days. I don't do that anymore. That's what I've been freed from. And I thank God for that. But my attraction to men mm -hmm. is still there. Hasn't gone away. Mm -hmm. I, I like I'm. I, it hasn't. And so, if if it, how can anyone judge somebody else when they don't know their situation? 
They don't know what God's plan is for their life. Like they don't know anything, but they speak like they know what they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do and everything else. I thank God that he hasn't healed me from any of this. If he's going to heal me from it. The reason why is because I want to have these conversations because I want people to understand. And when you, people are judging and condemning others because of their sexuality or what they desire. And, and again, I know sometimes it gets over the top. I, I understand all of that. But maybe God's purpose for them was to not heal them yet so they could have these conversations too. Because maybe this conversation is now being heard by somebody that's living in the closet, feels shame, feels like God doesn't love them. They feel re rejected from the church and they have to go along with the, you're going to hell, sinner, and all the other names. They, it, th there's people suffering in silence because they're scared of the persecution of the church. When the church's own nose is not so clean, so to speak. All right. And it's disgusting. And for that reason, I'm grateful that I'm not completely healed. I'm grateful that I still screw up all the time because I get to confess it and I get to talk about it. And I'm never going to sit here and pretend to be perfect or act like I'm some choir boy because I'm not. And but I'm I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the word that you just said. And, and I don't know where you are with your relationship with God now. It's none of my business. But I will tell you this. God is using you in a very big way, in a very important way, and in a way that only you, only you can do. And, and I think it's remarkable because I know it goes beyond just you speaking out in that one video. Like you, you are doing good work in the community and you're speaking a language and speaking to people that the church can't get to and you're showing them love you're showing them respect but you're also setting some really hard boundaries like to me you're a leader by setting mm -hmm. these boundaries and i have so much respect for you and i'm very very grateful mm -hmm. that you gave me all this time to talk to you today well, thank you so much no I, I it's just important and um I'm just, yeah, I'm very, I'm very glad you, you asked me to come on. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't realize the things we were going to talk about, which I, I prefer to not know. So it's very <laughs> organic. It's very organic and um, it's honest. And I know I appreciate you having me. Uh, well, Billy, thank you so much. And uh, please, oh, please promote anything and everything you want to promote. Let people know where they can find you and support you. Um, you could um, find me on Facebook. Um, I'm on YouTube under Kitty Demure. Um, that would be my my drag persona. Not it's a, it's my persona in drag. And then Hogatha Sisti, um, which is the one that's really taking off, is um, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll have links, everything. I create a media kit after every broadcast. We'll have all your links there and you guys can check him out and see what he's up to. Billy, God bless you. Thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you so much. I'll be in touch. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Freaking love that guy. Told you. So likable. And if anything that this did, I hope and pray for those of you that are just I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I don't want to lash out at anybody right now, but I just hope that your heart has been opened a little bit. Any prejudgments that you've had, I hope just went like a fart in the wind. 
That's a good human being. And you know what? I promise you God's using him. I promise you. And what can you say about that? How can you deny anyone that even attempts to deny that God is using him? <laughs> you go back to church. Go back to church. Anyway, I'm uh, so grateful for him and uh, really enjoyed that. I probably could have talked to him for five hours, but for the sake of time. Uh, listen, thank you for being here. And uh, again, I hope it opened your heart, opened your mind. And and I'm not, listen, I'm not asking you to accept sin. I'm not asking you to turn the other way to sin, but I'm asking you to open your heart and uh, and quit pointing the finger at other people unless if it's in the mirror. God bless you. Thanks for watching.